Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news that can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course. I hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. We got a great show for you this week. It's going to be a doozy. So we are actually going to delve into technology and the future and to what degree that affects your investing or should it affect your investing. We are going to look at ChatGPT, a language learning module that uses artificial intelligence. And I actually gave it a prompt. So you get a song today on the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. We're also going to look at a Wall Street Journal article by one of our favorites, Jason Zwig. Headline, Green Funds Cost Three Times More Than You, th- than you Think. He looks into the ESG investing fad <clears throat> and what we should look out for. And we have some return data by one of my favorite Twitter followers, a gentleman named Peter Malouk. He took total return data from the year 2000 to 2009, and he listed various asset classes. And I thought it was an incredibly informative data set. Popped off the page when I looked at it and reminded me of the importance of diversification. But let's start with technology and the future. So what I have been feeling, and you may have been feeling this as well, I have been feeling a cacophonous, cacophonous pull towards artificial intelligence. And it's coming up in headlines and in conversations. And in particular, there's a group called OpenAI. The CEO's name is Sam Altman, and they have developed a chatbot named ChatGPT. You'd think the chatbot could come up with a better name for itself, but I suppose the technology is not quite there. So ChatGPT. But it's remarkable. And many of you listeners, you may be familiar with it. It's free um, when it has capacity to answer your questions. You can essentially ask it anything, and it'll, it'll give you an answer. It knows how to code, so you can ask it to code something for you in a computer program. It can write you a song. It actually wrote us a song here, the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update, a poem, if you will, that I'm going to read to you to, to illustrate some of its abilities. Uh, but what I'm seeing more and more is that this kind of new age, new dawn rising is coming. So I, this week I watched a number of Sam Altman interviews, the CEO of OpenAI, about what the future holds for uh, artificial intelligence. And he's an investor in a lot of different companies. And it reminded me of the late 90s. You remember the late 90s was when the internet was just getting going and the proclamations started with, hey, watch out, this is going to change everything. And it eventually did. But for investors, it was a bit of a rocky ride. So from 1995 to 1999, if you were in the internet space, you felt like a genius. And money was made hand over fist. But the tech crash occurred, and a lot of those promises ended up not being fulfilled. Many were. Amazon, of course, and many others survived and thrived and affect our way of life and benefited investors tremendously. But as this rise in the importance of artificial intelligence software occurs, statements are going to start being made, and I'm already hearing them. This time it's different. This is going to change everything. Sam Altman was was referencing a future much like Star Trek with Jean-Luc Picard and the Star Trek Enterprise. And if you want something, you just mention it and a little machine makes it for you. We'll be in a post-financial world, post-capitalism world. Who doesn't want that? But what that can do to you, Mr. Investor, is it can lead you to make some pretty wild decision-making, what I want to keep you from. 
But first, but first, I want to say all these things are true. I am mesmerized by the technology. I'm mesmerized by ChatGPT. And I asked it. I said, write me a poem about the merits of index fund investing. And here's what it had to say. It made this in five seconds, you know. With index funds, you're in for a treat, an investment that can't be beat. A portfolio diversified, so smart, returns on your money, a work of art. Index funds, oh, how they shine, a way to invest that's truly divine. With low fees and steady growth, your wealth will increase. That's a sure bet I know. No need to be the market with your wit. Just follow the trend and sit back and relax a bit. You'll save on fees compared to the rest and beat most stock pickers. That's the test. Index funds, oh, how they shine, a way to invest that's truly divine. With low fees and steady growth, your wealth will increase. That's a sure bet I know. The market's up and downs will come and go, but with index funds, your money will grow. A passive strategy so easy to use with long-term gains you'll never abuse. Index funds, oh, how they shine, a way to invest that's truly divine. With low fees and steady growth, your wealth will increase. That's a sure bet I know. So invest in index funds. Don't you hesitate a smart choice that you won't regret. For a bright financial future, it's the way to go. And watch your wealth grow with each passing day. You'll know. So that's what the bot wrote me. And you can have it do all sorts of stuff. I could ask it to write me a poem in a certain style and it'll write it. I, you can ask it to do just about anything. And this is this is what the, the company is seeking to develop, what's called general artificial intelligence. General meaning it can do anything. So it's a fascinating technology. You are going to hear about a whole lot of applications uh, that it has, particularly in the way of investing. I've asked it personal finance questions and it's pretty good. It's as, it's as good as Google, and it just synthesizes your answers into one, you know, it's just one little text box. You don't have to scroll through various websites to see what, what's the answer using Google's PageRank. So give it a try. Try it out. But don't let it seep into your investing yet. And let me tell you why that can be a dangerous thing. I went back and looked at ARK Investing. So Kathy Wood is one of the, I'll call her a, a prophetess of the uh, technology future. And actually like her, I read her research and find it interesting. But as an investor, it's been a rough go. So from February 8th, 2021, this ARK Invest, it's technology focused. They're all about like the world is going to get eaten up, not just by software, but by tech. Everything will be tech. And all these industries will get displaced. And the pronouncements they make are kind of wild, really, about the future. But from February 8th, 2021 to present, her fund is down 73%. I'll say that again from... February 8, 2021, which is the high, and they're down 73.47%. And it's a bunch of tech stuff. So tech comes and goes. So as an investor, you, you've got to be really careful about this. Okay, wow, this is going to change the world. Let's go, let's go. Uh, oh, man, it's really a disaster, typically, in the early stages of an, of an industry. And you can go back and look at all the various... You can, the railroads. <clears throat> I read uh, the autobiography of of uh, folks in the railroad business, Andrew Carnegie, who was not directly in the business but was asked to finance a bunch of them, he did not personally guarantee loans to these railroad companies like a lot of his peers did because railroads were can't miss. You couldn't miss. It's the railroad. It totally changed the game. It opened the West. A lot of those folks got wiped out. It was early. I think AI will have a similar effect and a similar ending. I think the technology will be tremendous and change our lives in many ways, I wouldn't try to put a nickel on it. No surprise, I'd be an index fund investor. It's a beautiful thing to be an index fund investor because you're going to get to kind of sit back, as the poem says, the chat GPT wrote us, and you're going to get to kind of see what happens. No need to be a market with your wit. 
is verse two in verse two, the first line of verse two of the poem I read that ChatGPT made for us. No need to beat it with your wit. It's going to be real hard to pick the winners. Really, really hard. And so you don't have to, and I don't have to. Let's let let's let our market cap indices do the work for us. Sit back and wait. Be grateful for those who are putting money early in these these startups, but don't don't try to hop on the bandwagon or over allocate. I think it'll end the way the tech boom, the telecom boom, the railroad boom occurred with a few winners and a lot of losers. Next article I want to look at is by Mr. Jason Zwig, one of our favorites. Headline: Green funds cost three times more than you think. Buying an ESG fund is a lot like buying an index fund. That means investors are paying a lot for the small part that is different. So ESG, environmental social governance, is a investing fad that gets cooled off a little bit, but still pretty hot. The idea is you only want to own companies that do things right by the environment, that have you know, social means, all sorts of stuff these days, sadly, um, that I don't agree with. And then governance. I like governance. I think it's great, but are governed the right way. And so when you look into these indexes, what's happening is investors are paying more to buy even index funds or, or other funds that are environmentally cleaner, socially fair, and govern better, ESG. Well, when you dig down deep a little bit, you realize there's not a whole lot different here. So what Mr. Zwig highlights is, hey, a lot of the difference is just oil and gas and energy. So he, he breaks down in this article, he says, these sustainable U.S. funds have about 2.6% in energy, whereas the non-ESG funds have about 5.7% in energy. So over the past five years, these green funds outperformed, but that's changed. Now that energy's led, the green funds have done worse. And so you look at it, you go, well, there's not a ton of difference here other than they've just stripped out a lot of energy and a few other things as well, but the top names are all the same. The top names in all these funds are Apple, Microsoft, Google, United Health, JP Morgan. They're also the exact same in the index. So I look at this as another way to dress up index fund investing in a way that's not necessary for you, the investor. I'd say if you have a strong conviction about this and you really, you know, you don't want to, you know, energy is what they highlight here. They don't want to own something that you feel contributes to so-called climate change. Then by all means, get you an ESG fund. Just know that there's not a whole lot different. And what this article highlights is if about, mm, Zwig says only about a third of your money in the average ESG fund is distinctly green, but you incur the fees on the entire portfolio. Therefore, you're really paying three times as much for the thing you care about, the differentiated piece of the portfolio. So it's really just not a good deal for you, right? You're still owning just about the same stuff, but you're paying more for the entirety of this ESG fund. But it's almost it's so similar to the S&P 500. It really doesn't make a lot of sense for you. It makes a lot of sense for the fund company. Their margins go up. It doesn't cost them a whole lot to put these things together. Generates, uh, Zwig says, asset managers love ESG because it generates fat fees and because the money is sticky. If you're buying a fund you think will help save the world, you're more likely to stay put even if the returns are subpar. So I wouldn't do it. I think... Uh, I think the best way to go about it is to just look at that expense ratio, look at the simplicity of the fund, invest it, and be able to stick with it for a long time. And with these ESG folks, you just don't know how that definition will change over time. So you might hold a conviction about the environment on a certain level, and five years from now that may change, or governance, or a social issue of the day that however the ESG uh, priests define it, they might say that this is truth. And you might say, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. 
Well, you're kind of married to it in a sense if, if, if there are gains and you have to pay a bunch of tax on it. So be willing to sidestep this stuff. Be willing to stay with the plain vanilla, the tried and true. Don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself. And then a Twitter performance look. This is Peter Maluk at Creative Planning. He's a fun follow and puts out nice-looking graphs that are easy to understand. That's the, isn't that the best stuff, the stuff that's easy to understand? I think it's always a great test. Put something in, when you put something in front of a desk and have someone look at it, do they feel dumb after five seconds or do they understand it? If they feel dumb, that's your problem, not theirs. You know, make it simpler. So Mr. Maluk makes, makes us feel smart, not dumb. So he has these six asset classes that he looks at from 2000 to 2009. And it was a great reminder that what goes up must come down, what goes up down must come up, and reversion to the mean is a powerful force. So think about it, class. What was the best asset class from a return of, of these six? I'll, I'll, I'll read the six to you. You could take the S&P 500, the Global Index, MSCI World, XUSA, Bloomberg's U.S. Bond Index, the S&P 600, which are small caps, Emerging Markets, or the REIT Index, Real Estate Investment Trust. Which one of those six do you think was the best returning? If the answer was REITs, you were correct. Real Estate Investment Trust from 2000 to 2009 was the best, 164%. What was the worst? You may deduce this by the order in which I read them. The S&P 500, down negative 9% from 2000 to 2009. Isn't that interesting? And then what was all in the middle? Well, second worst was international stocks. They were up 22% between 2000 and 2009. Next up were bonds. They were up 85% from 2000 to 2009. U.S. small caps tied with bonds are from 2009. They're up 85%. Emerging markets were up 162%. So from this slot, 2000-2009, we had emerging markets up 162%. U.S. large cap, S&P 500, down negative 9%. And then boom, what a switch occurred. What a huge switch from 2009 to present where the laggard became the leader. And the leader, which is... You know, emerging markets and REITs, they lagged. Well, what are we to deduce from this? Because I, I kind of forget this stuff. My, I think as investors, we've, we've got a memory, uh, but it ain't that long. It's kind of, a, as much as we want to think we're all long-term, we remember things in a long-term manner. It's tough. It's tough. It's really hard to not be caught up in uh, the spirit of the age and the moment of the day. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer is not to rotate in and out of categories and try to pick the bottom and time the top because even this snapshot of the year 2000-2009, there's some selection bias here. Y'all remember what happened in 2000. That was the peak of the valuation for all these tech stocks, which made up the S&P 500. That's why it's down negative 9%. Hindsight's 2020. We didn't know that. And then real estate, gosh, it had a good run until 2009, but we shut the data off at 2009, so it doesn't capture those, those uh, dramatic losses that occurred after that. So even a snapshot like this, you've got to know a little financial history to be able to navigate it and understand what's going on. So what, what are we to make of it? Be very careful trying to rotate in and out of categories. A lot of really intelligent folks did that when they looked at this data and paid an enormous price. And I can remember back 2009, just it was a cacophonous yell and emerging markets are the only way. And they're going to take over everything and you're just crazy. Real estate was the same way. You remember real estate, 05, 06, 07. It was just, oh, you're just, you're just crazy not to be in real estate. Crazy. And people didn't really care about large cap 
U.S. stocks did that. I don't remember anybody yelling at me to buy those. And wouldn't you know it, the very best thing to do in that time would have been the exact opposite of what you were being yelled at. But let's get out of that game entirely. Let's just own it all. Let's, as John Bogle said, let's not try to find the needle in the haystack. Buy the whole haystack. And now why would we do that? It seems so, doesn't it seem so obvious, Robert? You just buy what people are selling and sell what people are buying. Can't you just rotate in and out of these categories? If it was easy, the endowment funds would do it. Why can't they beat a 60-40 index? Why can't Harvard? Why can't Princeton? Why, why, can't, why can't any of these university systems, CalPERS, these teacher retirement funds, why, why don't they do it effectively? Why is it that you and I can say, well, it's pretty hard, actually. Hindsight's twenty twenty. We don't, there could be a 20-year period of underperformance. Can anyone handle that? Even an institution? Nope. People will bail. I mean, I, my experience is everyone, myself included, has a much, much short, shorter shot clock than they think. If you underperform for five years, good luck. Ten years, yeah, you're not going to stick with it. What matters in investing is permanence. To what degree can you stick to a plan and stick with it for 50 years? If you can't stick with the plan for 50 years, it's probably not going to work out very well. We had a friend of the show send an article about, well, should I invest in real estate? Or should I invest in publicly traded equities? What's really the best? This is, all, this is the debate on online in the personal finance space. What do I do? Real estate? And, you know, of course, what's the answer? Well, it depends. I mean, it's kind of a tie in a sense when you factor in the time it takes to actually individually buy real estate with managing the property, underwriting the property, finding the debt, getting the right tenants, you know, all that. There's a cost for your time. And then stocks, well, gosh, it's easy, but there's, you get liquidity, but maybe not, not, not the same return as if you were doing value out of real estate. Well, in the end, it's kind of a coin flip. What I said is the answer is not real estate or stocks necessarily. It's just who are you? What can you stick with? If, if you know real estate real well and you, you, you like it, you're willing to commit to 50 years, that's the right answer. I have no idea if real estate will outperform stocks. and I, I kind of don't care. Can stocks outperform real estate? I don't know. But will you stick with stocks for 50 years? That's the right answer. It's permanence. It's, it's what can you stick with? What do you know so well? What's that circle of competence Warren Buffett talks about where you're willing to stay in that circle and not look, look to the left or the right? You just keep those blinders on like a horse in a horse race? What can you actually stick with? That's going to be the right answer. Because over a long period of time, they're going to be, as you saw, the 2000-2009, that's a nine-year period where your U.S. stocks were down 9%. And all this other stuff, you know, REITs were up 164%. Well, can you handle it? Can you, can you dig it? Can you, can, you, can you push through and stick with your plan? You got to find something you can stick with. So it is my belief that the market cap index is that product for the vast majority of people. If, you, if you're into the real estate, oil and gas, or other game, boom, go for it and stick with it. But for the vast majority, both institutions and individuals, the market cap index fund is the answer. So as always, Keep those costs low. Keep that time horizon long. Keep that investing simple. That's what's going to give you the best shot for your investing journey.